Hey, welcome back to Archetypical. Jason Webster, CEO, founder, Archetype, and Sammy Bucris. Uh, we met in the last uh, episode here, reviewing your episode one and two of your fragile blog and mm-hmm. podcast. Correct. Right. And uh, I think let's let's recap a little bit around what we've covered, um, and kind of figure out where we go from here. But so I would characterize, and you get you know you get a chance to yeah do the same job, is that. Um, whenever you hear "but," it's a "but wipe." That's yeah. yeah. I'm glad that's what you got. That's from what the, I heard from the, yeah, the interviews. It's, it's now part of my put my part of my vernacular yeah. when my kids say, "Daddy, Daddy, I'm going to do this," but like yeah. "but wipe." Exactly. So yeah, so it's, it's with me now. I, I've got it right. <laughs> no, but more importantly, I think we were kind of in the throngs of really defining agile. What is agile versus waterfall? But also actually fighting for its merits or risks, right? So when, when we talk about Agile, for me as a business owner and truly a kind of lifelong consultant, my concern is how do I deliver something of value to my customers that they're excited about and happy to write the check, the final check. They say, ooh, only this much? Happy to write it. In fact, can I? where do, where do I leave the tip, right? <laughs> Never happened, but that's what I'm hoping for one day, right? And that really relies heavily upon the idea that we're doing something that brings more value than the cost and complexity and annoyance of having consultants right. brings. Um, Appreciate you implying that I'm yeah. annoying. That's uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I was a consultant first. <laughs> True, you're only recently a consultant. I've been a consultant for a long time. Fair. Yeah. You so say you're annoying now, but I was annoying a long time before mm-hmm. you were annoying. Many, many years uh, you have ahead of me of, of being annoying. Exactly. <laughs> Ask my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And, and uh, I appreciate, again, you taking the time to, to talk to me about this. And, um, you know, the series three and four of that, uh, that blog and, and the videos are coming out and or have actually, I think we already pushed them out. Um, and, and I kind of, the intention of those is really to bring it to full circle. I think with the first two, I was addressing a lot of problems. Um, and I wanted to provide some solutions for people. And, right. and again, starting simple. I think in one of them I referenced just it's all about simplicity. And then once you think it's simple, like take it back even further and, and become more and more simple. Um, you know, with number four, there's, there's a, a story that I shared in that one. Um, right. And I'll just briefly touch on it about um, one, of, one of the teams that I inherited where they had just – capacity that it just didn't exist. They, they had diminishing capacity. They were constantly under the gun. Um, they, they prioritized the work that they focused on based on which customer was the loudest. And it was literally, you know, these customers had the number of the CEO and they'd call and all of a sudden, you know, we'd get a call and okay, that's the customer that got completed. Yeah. It wasn't healthy. And that's right. how they operated for years and years. Um, you know, I'd set a goal for them of just visualizing their work. That's all I wanted them to do is just put it on a board. Once we put it on that board and we started visualizing the work, uh, that's when the meltdown actually started. She called me, the team lead called me crying, saying that she didn't understand how they were going to get all this work completed. And when we stopped for a second, I said, what changed? What changed from yesterday to today? Because all we did is push it to production and all of a sudden there's all this work on the board. And she said, well, I can see the work. And I said, right, that's that's half of the battle right there. Right. You never got to even see the work to a point. Now you can go figure out how to go tackle it. So then we started prioritizing. We were able to say, okay, we're going to go deliver 
this client's, whatever that deliverable is, by this time. And a lot of times it was a difficult conversation to have with the client. Well, yeah, we're going to go complete, you know, this transformation by three months from now. Well, that's not a great discussion to have, but at least the client said, okay, well, at least I know when I'm going to be completed. Yeah. Right. Reminds me of a story. Um, Years ago, years prior to Archetype, I was, believe it or not, a consultant working for another consulting firm. And our customer was a big five consulting shop. Mm -hmm. So the the names you recognize, right? I'll call them big five from this perspective to keep the, the, you know, protect the the guilty, right? (laughs) Um, But we were brought in because big five was looking at selling their business to a new ownership. And they had to implement a traditional Norton Kaplan balance scorecard a balance scorecard is basically a methodology that's used to measure value. And financial value is one part, but innovation is part of it, human capital is part of it. And it's really, back then, it was years ago, it's like a, how do we do a well-rounded job of measuring value? Because sometimes cash on the balance sheet and profitability might be at the expense of like destroying your people and your human capital value is running low. So healthy companies are healthy in all four quadrants, learning and growth, you know, balance sheet, so on and so forth. So we came in to, to build this system that was going to gather a bunch of data from across that professional services firm and measure them. And by measuring them, I mean all their partners who were own, part owners and had a stake in the game, measure their ability to execute against all four quadrants. So we had a team of roughly 12 people building out this technology platform and the applications and the dashboards. And they had assigned to us a revolving door of project managers who worked for them for big consulting, but lived with us like day to day and were in charge of us. Mm-hmm. And it was truly like a revolving door. But I remember one gentleman in, in, in general who walked in and the first day he came in, he said hello. And we had a room that was packed to the gills with the consultants. We had brought our own server. So we'd, rent, we'd, we'd basically rented a server mm-hmm. on a dolly. We could pull in because it was the only reliable place we could do our, our modeling mm-hmm. you know, of that stuff. And so we said, fine, so be it. If we can't get access to the right big consulting mm-hmm. server, we'll, we'll, we'll set up our own. And it was plugged into a power strip, which plugged into probably another power strip, plugged into an outlet. Right. And this, this new project manager walks in, sits down with his laptop, opens it up, and he needs a plug. And he looks down and arbitrarily pulls a plug <laughs> Kill out the server. to put his in. <laughs> he didn't ask anybody. He just said, hey, I, I, it's like Russian roulette, like, like something, something like <laughs> You're you're done. You're done. Uh-huh. Pulls it, and it happened to be the plug for the server. So this room that like rings at fifty decibels all day long with these fans running for our server, all of a sudden goes quiet. Well, the, the nature of the database we're working with and the work we're doing, <laughs> there's really no concern with that because it's just the way it's designed. You don't you don't really lose stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just it might be the last five minutes, but it's not a big deal. But man, did we make a big deal out of it? <laughs> of course, we enjoyed. That we enjoyed the next hour of like telling this poor project manager all the work he had undone <laughs> and reversed. And uh, he felt terribly, he kind of backed up and left within the hour. Well, the next day he comes in and he has the gall to go to our whiteboard. And we had all kinds of lists, which to me, I, I think our lists back then, they weren't real pretty, but it was like, it was seeing the work. So like mm-hmm. you finish something, you spin right. around, you look at the whiteboard and say, okay, what are our priorities? And there's a bunch of lists and ordered different ways. And we had a great, you know, Christy was our project manager. She was fantastic. And she just kept us organized, right? So you could mm-hmm. literally pick up your work, look back and say, okay, so team C is on what next? He comes into the whiteboard and he erases the thing, which 
on its own was a feat because it's like eight feet wide, four feet high. It's on a, he's on, on, a, on a chair erasing this. He erases the whole thing. And then he takes the project plan out of Microsoft Project, mm -hmm. the Gantt chart, and he draws it on the whiteboard. Okay. Literally, like, I mean, like, doing his very best to, like, model this thing on there. And that, that was his, like, afternoon's work. Okay. Two, three hours drawing this Gantt chart on the whiteboard. And to your point, we landed up with this Gantt chart, which we all could access mm -hmm. in the actual Microsoft Project file on our laptops or desktops. But he felt obligated to need to be on the whiteboard. But he erased, actually, all of the, really, the the dance steps that we use to kind right. of navigate the day. Right. For him, he wanted to make sure that whether we liked it or not, we could see that Gantt chart on a whiteboard. But to me, it's almost the biggest oxymoron in the world. Like a whiteboard is not where you do permanent work. Right. Right. It's 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 it's, it's brainstorming, it's it's free thinking, it's evolution, it's agile, right? And he, in some ways, in his efforts to move us forward in terms of organization and structure, mm -hmm. he moved us backwards. Right. Right. And it's like we all got a kick out of it because we knew that, like, we obviously had a big, big egos of our own mm -hmm. as consultants, but we thought our we were smarter and better than the big five consultants, right? right? And uh, I mean, we're not. We're all the same basic yeah. kind of thing. But it was, it was kind of a just a unique a, story. It almost feels almost relevant to what we're talking. Oh, about. absolutely. And and I'm assuming this was pre-smartphone, so there were no pictures taken of the whiteboard of course, before yeah, he erased yeah. it, right? We had blackberries back then. <laughs> So yeah, no pictures. You lost that data, and effectively, uh, he didn't come in and ask the team what they wanted. No, he made a series of assumptions and thought this was the way that you manage a project, and yeah. this is what the team wants. And that's again, I don't think want was ever part of his vocabulary. I think he he was trying to get eyes on him. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like he was trying to walk in the room and snap attention to him and say, "Hey, Got I'm it. in charge here." I'm responsible for you guys. You guys need to pay attention to me. I'm going to walk you through this project plan together. That's how I'm going to get you to say, this is my, this is my, like my X's and O's, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Did he ever, did you ever view him as part of the team? Did no. he ever feel like he was part of the team? He, he didn't because he knew he broke our, he knew he broke our unwritten rules. Right. And we, I mean, it's funny. You can be, I mean, I'm a CEO, right? So whatever that means, like, like the other day, like I can walk into a room and I can like upset mm -hmm. the apple cart and I can, I can be in charge, but mm -hmm. you can tell that the nonverbal cues like you are not you are not right welcome or valued or like you just broke some unwritten rules. Yep. And those rules are important, right? Because rules teams have culture that that, that they operate exactly. with to, to exactly. work well together. Correct. And I don't care who you are, you can be the CEO or you can be whatever. You walk into a team and disrupt the culture that makes them work well together. You don't get away with it on like 100%. Right. They'll fall in line if you, if you really make them, but like you don't get away with it. That's right. Absolutely. And and that I think that point is critical to think about, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in one of the blog posts, I referenced that even though I didn't own any of the work that the team was responsible for, they still considered me part of the team. Yeah. And it's because I understood and I worked with them on through their process. I actually owned pieces of the process Rather than saying, okay, Jason, go do this and this is how you operate, I said, okay, I'll do that for you, right? Yeah. And eventually they saw that in order for them to adopt the process, I need to be bought in. I yeah. need to understand how it fit into their existing process. Yeah. And then 
understand that it solved for problems that they were having. So right. in order to solve for the problems, <clears throat> of course, I had to take the time understanding the problems. Well, how am I going to understand the problems right. if I don't ask the questions and go live it with them? Yeah. Right. And it's, 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 when you're talking about it's like the desert island con concept, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about any team structure, and if you very quickly take the team and think about it like, okay, what if we were a group of people on desert island? Well, if you're in a desert island, you're a deserted island. Mm -hmm. it may not be a desert, but it's an island. It's an island. It's a deserted island. It could have a desert. It could, it could, it could be a desert, desert, <laughs> deserted desert island. It could be. But the point there is like you're, you're now in a situation where the outside world is taken away. You have a team of four, five, or 50 people mm -hmm. who now are relying 100% on each other to right. survive and thrive. What do people do as individuals? Right? You're going to have the natural leaders who hopefully kind of rise up and create structure, and that structure is evolving and positive. You can have other leaders who rise up and say, no, 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 mm -hmm. if, if there's leadership here, I need to be part of it because that's how I value myself. And they may not actually be helpful at all. Right. And you have people who say, hey, I'm not much of anything. I'm kind of, I'm not very important, but if I can collect firewood and every day I can wake up and collect firewood, that adds value, I'll do it, right? But that, those, those people we value highly because they've wrecked, they might have undervalued themselves, mm -hmm. but they've recognized that, hey, their value is in, not in who they are, but what they contribute. So they, 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 because they've got maybe lower self-worth, they say, okay, I need to contribute something. Mm -hmm. What can I do to add value to kind of advance the Absolutely. team and the org? And they say, well, how about firewood, right? Other people say, no, no, guys, this is the way we need to do it. There's a, it creates conflict between approach A and approach B. But I think when we think about teams and, and healthy teams, it's kind of like, hey, what would this look like? What would what would Sammy do on that desert island? Right. What would Jason be doing on that desert island? What would so and so so and so be doing? I think it's a fun question to ask for us to kind of start to get get to the to the how what a healthy team looks like and how how well they absolutely they, they model behavior. Yeah, and kind of going on that analogy further, if I've decided on my own that I needed to collect firewood, and you're saying that's really valuable, yeah, but Fred over here decides that he wants to collect firewood as well, and I'm not communicating to him. Yes. And we both show up, and we both collected firewood. Do we get pats on the back? No, because right. it was unnecessary for us both to collect firewood. Fred right. could have gone out fishing because we didn't need, we didn't have anybody that was fishing that day. Right. Right. So great, we can cook, we can go make the fire to cook the food that okay. we didn't catch. That's right. So exactly. I think that's a critical point, and that's that's kind of it feeds well into this analogy of visualizing the work. That's what it's all about, right? right? So if we are not visualizing the work and communicating with each other, yeah. then there's no point in us going to assigning tasks to ourselves. Right. And so this is where Agile solves for these dilemmas, right? It solves yeah. for the, the desert or deserted island <laughs> dilemma, right? Deserted <laughs> desert island. <laughs> so now, yeah. I mean, this, this is a perfect, yeah. perfect example of um, how Agile can be used for virtually anything that we do, right, yeah. holistically. Um, I've seen, I have a friend of mine who's a lawyer, and he he was explaining the way that they, you know, they assign work, and basically they have a queue, and they just, they grab it out of the queue, and they start working, and he was explaining to me verbally how he tackles his work, and I told him, I said, you're, you're working in an agile project management methodology, whether you know it or not. Right. And I think that's the thing is, it's inherently built to kind of accommodate the natural needs of a team, yeah. right, and the way that we operate. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of brings me to my next kind of thought here, which is, um, 
if we rewind four or five years for archetype, we had a, an inflection point where archetype was largely a New England-based firm focused on three or four key verticals, life sciences, financial services, insurance, mm-hmm. manufacturing, and we had great relationships with, with our customers. We were innovative in our thought process, and it was a great business. Um, but the world was changing under our feet mm-hmm. dramatically, right? It was basically pre-cloud, post-cloud was kind of the, the world we were seeing. And so we made a decision like, hey, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be dragged from this pre-cloud world to this post-cloud world. We're gonna go there mm-hmm. and try to try to jump the curve a little bit. So we went out and we found two, really three new real cloud partners okay. or cloud-centric partners. So, you know, AWS Snowflake, kind of one partner, but really Snowflake being the predominant partner there. Mm-hmm. AWS is our growing a growing partner there. Um, Tableau around visualizations, and then thirdly, OneStream, which is kind of our partner in the you know CPM, corporate performance management, kind of the finance org, and you know closing the books, management reporting, budgeting, planning, forecasting, all that stuff, right? So we chose these partners, and we said, hey, we're not going to go to market so much around our expertise in industry right now, we're gonna go to market on our expertise on software and how it applies to these problems we're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. So let's become the smartest people we can on OneStream, on Snowflake, on AWS. And that was easier said than done because if you look at this marketplace, it's not really a one-headed monster. There's, it's an ecosystem, Mm -hmm. right? So it's learning an ecosystem. It's like, it's like being, it's like saying, hey, I'm gonna be an expert on jungles. Mm there's a thousand you know, kingdom phyla species in a jungle, yeah. right? And so we've grown that way pretty successfully. We're what for 4X our size we were back then. And um, a lot of that growth has been around what I would call either platform or product mm-hmm. thinking, not project thinking. So I think when the traditional business person thinks of consultants, it's like these engagements are project or projects. Mm-hmm. We're gonna engage in, in our work. The deliverable is working through a bunch of tasks, hopefully not too much PowerPoint, but it's, I'm sure it's in there. <laughs> and you get you solve some problems, but it generically feels different than building something like metaphorically a house, right? Where I think the industry is changing quickly I, I call it the appification of the world, where like as consumers, we're so used to buying apps right. on our iPhones or whatever else. I mean, if you're on an Android phone, sorry, but like on, on, on these platforms, we buy apps and apps seem to be the new, like um, smallest unit of measure in terms of value as an app. Yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of flows over into our business relationships. We're like, hey, what am I buying? How does it work? Can I look at it? Can I touch it? Mm-hmm. Can I feel it? If you're selling me business process change, I don't want to buy process change. I want right. to buy an app. Right. Right. So we've started selling that way. And so we, we're trying to sell more kind of productization or platforms sure. as opposed to uh, projects. Right. How does that kind of play out in your kind of framework around Agile? Well, I think the uh, the... The Agile framework, uh, and again, I want to kind of reference what I, I did in the blogs where we're talking about Agile has become a noun, and it's not a noun, right? And, point, and yeah. that's a really critical 
concept to kind of embrace because then you know we people will say oh i'm i'm agile our team is agile well good you can change on the fly but it's not a, agile is not a process being agile is not a process it's a way of thinking mm-hmm. um, another key point that i'd like to make and i didn't reference this in the in the posts but i think it's critical to make is thinking lean as well okay and so when you combine that with agile and you start to put these processes in place for the so by lean you mean keto <laughs> it's all the same, yeah. By <laughs> definition, right? Put it right. put it as a noun yeah, and exactly. make it a proper noun and call it lean. So cut the carbs uh, out of your projects. That's it. Cut the carbs out. Of your, yep. Yeah. Trim the fat, and that's exactly what you need. Um, but it's it's to me, lean agile project management is purely elimination of waste, and that's what you want to do. So how do you eliminate yeah. waste? Well, the first thing is you identify the waste. And when you start thinking in those terms, that's when you can start to apply those practices to the use cases that you're referring to. Um, Part of agile project management also teaches people to think more like a, what I call a product thinker. So yes, there's project thinking and there's, uh, you know, kind of a program thinking and, but what is a a, a true product thinker? That's someone who is understanding the problems, right? What problem is Jason having and how am I going to solve for it? So, you know, there's a, a famous story. Well, it's famous to me. Maybe it's not famous to everybody else. <laughs> but uh, they say that, you know, if, if Henry Ford had tried to just solve for the problems that everybody wanted him to solve for, he would have built a faster horse. People didn't know that there was an alternative, right? right. So if he said, well, Jason, what problem are you having? Well, my, my horse is too slow. I need a faster horse. Okay, I'm going to go build a faster yeah. horse. He's not solving for the problem that you're really having. The problem that you're having is you are unable to get from point A to point B in a, in a fast way, right. right? Okay, well, then your problem is actually that you need an alternative mode of transportation that is affordable. So what did he do? He democratized the automobile. And that completely unlocked a, a new, a new uh, industry, a new, and that's where he, you know, he became, obviously, everybody well, knows. I, I mean, it's like, it's very true. I, I, I kind of wonder, I mean, it's what... Elon Musk has done with Tesla mm-hmm. is he's kind of fallen in line with Henry Ford in a sense saying, here's the colors you can choose from. And there's only really four color, five, maybe five colors you can get a Tesla in. Think, yep. And like, I wonder, like, are you really saving money or are you just trying to sound and feel like Henry Ford? Ford. That's a great question. Um, I don't know. I mean, for me, Tesla, I think what he, what, what Elon did for the industry is uh, proved that really there is a, a need in a, in a market for the electric cars. Um, however, one could argue that his cars aren't really just electric cars. They're actually software that's built on a car platform. Oh, totally, absolutely. And, and so that's where a lot of people say, you know, I had a friend of mine who said he loved Tesla so much that he said even if they were ICE engines and in, in, you know, internal combustion engines, he'd still buy them because of the software. Yeah. And so it's interesting, what problem did Elon solve for? Did he solve for the problem that we have with, with gas and fossil fuels? Or did he solve for the desire of people to want a different model for the way they engage and utilize their cars? Yeah. Right? And I think that's up for debate, really. Well, I mean, I think, I don't know if the, how publicly well-known this is, but, like, he's given away a lot of his patents on the design of the it's car. open source. And the whole... Powertrain, which I'm not sure you still call it powertrain in a battery-powered yeah. car, but the powertrain, that's open source. And I, I think a lot of these 
rapidly rising electric cars from Mercedes and Porsche and everyone else, like, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think that open source has kind of helped people solve some problems more quickly where he's he's paid heavily the cost of being the first to market. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. So we all get to look at like, what is Lucid or mm-hmm. Rivian or mm-hmm. anyone else and say, these guys are great. But like, yeah, but they weren't first to market. That's right. He paid the penalty, the cost of doing that, which is, you know, I love the innovation. And I think um, it's hard. I was watching recently a, a video on this, um, I can't remember the name of the rocket engine, but he's, They've created, he's, he's designed, or his team has designed a new rocket engine mm-hmm. that's kind of different from traditional rocket engines. And like, I geek out this stuff on YouTube, spend way too much time. I won't admit the hours I spend. My wife knows. <laughs> but he, he, he recognized, hey, if we're going to get into the space race and be able to do things that are, are competitive and reusable, repeatable, mm-hmm. we've got to figure out a cheaper, uh, more resilient rocket engine that's actually more powerful, but also doesn't blow up after right, one use. Right. And I, there's no question that Elon Musk is a product thinker. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and he's created a lot of product thinkers. Um, and and product thinking is, you know, you we could write a ton of blog posts on becoming a product thinker. Um, I think it's learning to ask the right questions and and digging in. You know, for example, one of my clients that I started engaging with before we even started the project, I stopped and just asked them. Why did you choose this platform? Hmm. And they stopped for a moment. It took a while to think about why. And you know, we were able to quantify the value that they saw. Anticipated. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. The value that they anticipated, right? And then we were able to validate, was that realistic? Right. And I think that's where a lot of people don't understand the kind of the life cycle of a, of a, a project like this or, or yeah. buying a SaaS platform or whatever the platform yeah. is. Um, that you have to understand there's this kind of, you. they get their hopes up, they think it's going to solve all of their problems, right. right? And they hit what I call the trough of despair. So you get yeah. you get high, it's going gonna, it's gonna to solve all of our problems that we have, and then all of a sudden you realize like, okay, well, it's not going to solve for this problem, or it's not going to solve for that problem. It still solves for the bulk of the issues that you had previously, yeah. right? It's about resetting those expectations. But a lot of that to kind of soften the curve and bring that curve up is on us consultants to make sure that yeah, they understand right. the value, right? Thinking like a product thinker and un- and helping them regain the trust in that platform that they've chosen to invest in. Yeah, and we probably need to land a plan on this one. Yeah. Soon. So, <laughs> so there's a there's a uh, a uh, consultant used to work with us. Her name is Ruth, and she was <laughs> fantastic leader, fantastic manager of projects. But she, like me, had this little bit of impatience around just like you know, making sure we kind of get to the end of something and she had this little symbol she would do in a conversation saying, you know, if you're talking too much, you looked over and she's doing this, like, it's time to land the plane. But in the, in the spirit of landing the plane, I think um, we, I think we can all learn a lot when we think about product thinking, mm-hmm. because I think, I think product thinking is different, right? If, if I pitch you on a great idea, like a business case, right? Mm-hmm. The business case is on PowerPoint. I have to like talk to it and kind of get you excited. Right, and there's right. a bunch of excitement, a bunch of like, I mean, the numbers can be great, but there's nothing like an MVP. Correct. A minimally viable product. Like, let's not talk about what could be. Let's just let's just demonstrate the product. Right. No one does it better than Apple. Like mm-hmm. every one of Apple's advertisements, whether on a billboard mm-hmm. or on TV, Apple doesn't advertise, they just demonstrate 
the product. And yeah. so that's product thinking, yeah. right? And the more we can manage the work we're doing towards product, and I mentioned platform earlier, we're probably not gonna get into platform thinking a whole lot, but yeah. just put it simply, like platform thinking is when we get to take a bunch of tasks and worries and issues off of our customers' um, concerns mm -hmm. and put them onto our into our environment that we wrap our process around. Yeah. And now we have a platform they're leveraging. I use the metaphor I use is like the electric company, mm -hmm. right? I walk to the switch, I flip it, lights come on, they go off. Right. I don't think about it until I lose power. And in the U.S., we lose power. It's two or three days. That's it. Out of three hundred sixty-five, it's like it just works. Right. But there are right. thousands of people who work nonstop to make it work. Right. Um, so platform product thinking is where I think we as consultants need to move. Um, but and I, honestly, I think the agile. I love the, I love the idea that. If you can see it, you can manage. If you can't see, you can't manage it. That's right. But, That's um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great. Well, thank you so much for having me again. Yes, this has good. been wonderful. And good to hope to, hopefully our next interactions, we'll be talking a little bit more about product thinking. Yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers.